0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio
1: Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen.
2: Well, thank you for joining us here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Great to have you along for the ride as we talk about what is going on in agriculture and issues impacting rural America I'm your host, Jesse Allen, a busy show lined up for you once again here today. Coming up at the end of the program in segment four, we're going to hear about a new facility being built in north central Iowa by Five Star Cooperative that could really have an impact on many farmers across the region. Scott Black, the CEO of the Five Star Cooperative, going to join us coming up here In segment four today. In segment three, we're gonna talk markets, look big picture ahead of the USDA WASDI report for the month of September coming up on Tuesday, the twelfth. Mike Zuzalo, president of global commodity analytics, will be joining us in segment three to provide his perspective. In segment two, we're gonna have a conversation with the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee. Arkansas Republican Senator John Bozeman going to join the show to give us an update on the farm bill discussions and much more. Kicking things off, though, here on today's program, we want to get an update on the ongoing hearing of about the federal milk marketing orders and where things stand with FMMO. He is the Economic Research and Analysis Director for the National Milk Producers Federation. Stephen Kane is with us here today on AOA. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. How are you?
3: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Well, Stephen, let's dive in here and, and talk just first. I know that the FMMO hearing is ongoing currently. What's the latest? Where did things stand? I know this is going to be uh, quite a long process here, so get us up to speed on where things stand right now, if you can.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna try not to go into too much detail. Uh, you know, the, the policy wonks like myself really enjoy this stuff, but I'll try to keep it uh, enjoyable for everybody. Uh, but yeah, you know, this is the hearing uh, for the federal marketing orders. We're looking to um, update and really modernize the system to make sure that it's uh, in line with how milk is uh, marketed and priced today. So we're looking at you know, a few main pieces here. We're uh, finishing up our third week in the hearing. It's looking to go uh, probably about six weeks long where USDA has a, a tentative hopeful deadline to finish it up by the end of September. Um, we'll see how that goes and we'll see if the government shutdown um, happens later in the year that might cause some, some hiccups or some bumps in the road, but. Um, so far we're moving along. It's going a little slowly. Um, we haven't had a major update like this uh, in over two decades. Um, so it's, uh, it's, up, it's time for an update and we're trying to make sure we do it right. So it's going a little slowly, but we're making progress and moving through uh, a lot of key issues here to make sure that the, the orders are operating as effectively as they can.
2: Well, and you mentioned that we haven't had an update in quite some time and getting this done right, of course, is important to the entire dairy industry. And when we're talking the federal milk marketing order, can you explain to folks listening who may not be fully aware, what are some of the, the big key things that we are looking to update through this process, Stephen?
3: Yeah, great question. You know, the Really what we're trying to do here is we're not trying to make we're not having a major overhaul of the program. You know, we're the, for folks who are, are in tune, the word reform gets, te- gets uh, kicked around a lot. This is not that. This is more just a modernization of the orders uh, to make sure that they're in line with uh, the industry today. So again, you know, two decades um, since we've had a major update, uh, a lot of the uh, pieces in the orders are just out of date. Some of the uh, pricing formulas uh, were pegged to some static uh, milk composition factors um, the industry has moved forward uh, we're getting more and more uh, components out of milk uh, than we ever have before and the formulas in the order aren't representing those uh, increased components in the milk and farmers aren't getting the full value uh, for the milk that they're producing So that's one of the major pieces that we've covered so far this hearing is updating updating the skin milk composition factors Uh, just to make sure that farmers are adequately being compensated for the milk they're producing. Um, That's been a major key piece so far. Uh, We've also been looking at uh, some protein components in the Class Three milk pricing formula. A lot of words there, but at the end of the day, what that is looking at is is taking barrel cheese out of the protein component formula. Um, It's currently uh, being overvalued in that formula. And again, Uh, paying farmers uh, less than the value of their milk that's going in to produce cheese. Um, So it's a major key piece there that we've been working on that that's finished up uh, here a couple days ago. Uh, But now we're getting into updating uh, what things are called the make allowance or the manufacturing costs for producing uh, certain dairy products around the country. Um, Those, again, haven't been updated in a very long time. We had a slight update on make allowances uh, back in the, around 2008. Uh, So, again, another 15 years since we've had an adjustment there. Um, So just making sure that uh, those uh, make allowances are in line with the actual cost it is, uh, that cost it takes to make dairy products in the United States. Um, You know, everybody's seen the inflationary pressures that we've seen in just the last few years uh mm-hmm. span that out a little longer and you know we've got to make sure that those are in line with the the costs we're seeing today so we just got into that piece we're working through that that'll be going on for the next week or so uh, before we get into some other factors uh in a week or so
2: well as well Stephen, as uh, you you know we've alluded to this is a bit of a long process but getting things done right uh, once the hearing is wrapped up what's the timeline look like once the hearing is wrapped up how soon do we have a a draft decision from USDA is there public comment period and more I mean, how does how does that timeline work if you can fill us in there
3: yeah absolutely yeah the we have a tentative um, kind of recommended decision that we're looking to uh, expect around late february early march um, we'll get likely, uh, you know, after that, we'll have some comment periods back and forth um, between USDA and stakeholders. Uh, we'll likely get a, uh, a final decision from USDA sometime late June, early July. Um, have some, some referendum then after we get a final hearing notice or final decision um, for uh, whether or not we vote in the uh those recommended changes and that'll be on an order by order basis. So, you know, we're looking well into, uh, next year before we get a final decision. Um, but we'll hopefully, uh, have a great outcome from that.
2: Well, it's a multi-step process. And as you alluded to, it's all about, uh, making sure things are, are current for a, a changing dairy market and really a changing world, right, Stephen?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, just making sure that, things are in line with how the industry operates today. So that's that's our main focus here, just to make sure that uh, dairy farmers and and processors are all uh, operating in in a regulatory environment that suits the industry as it operates today.
2: And I know folks have questions, want to check things out online. I'm sure they could do that easily. You guys have a lot of great stuff, a lot of great resources available on the nmpf.org website, don't you, Stephen?
3: yeah absolutely nmpf.org um following along with a lot of updates that are pushing out Uh, also the usda uh hearing website um has a lot of great information as well Um, really timely uh, updated data but yeah nmpf.org has some uh, easy to digest and quick updates on the program
2: fantastic with that economic research and analysis director with the national milk producers federation stephen kane Thanks so much for joining us here today on AOA. We appreciate it.
3: Sure. Thanks for having
2: me. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk farm bill. We're going to have a discussion with a ranking member on the Senate Ag Committee, Senator John Bozeman. That's on the way next here on AOA.
4: Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 B.C., and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions there are twice as many pigs as there are people in denmark did you also know that china is the world's lead pork producer in 2020 they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat which equates to almost 91 billion pounds so the next time you dive into that plate of bacon know that pork is the world's most consumed meat these farm facts brought to you by the american ag network paid
1: non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free, and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William stepacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main Office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states.
5: A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice us.org.
0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
2: And welcome back to AOA. All right, well, let's not waste any time. Joining us now on the program, he is the ranking member on the Senate Agriculture Committee, Arkansas Republican Senator John Bozeman. And Senator Bozeman, it's great to talk with you. I hope you're doing well.
6: I'm doing great, and it's a real pleasure to be with you on your show. Well, thank you for the
2: time. Let's dive in, and uh, obviously Farm Bill is on a lot of folks' minds across rural America. We're out of the August recess, and I know uh, a lot of talk that this Farm Bill might take a little bit longer to get done. I know we got some appropriations uh, battles that we got to get through on Capitol Hill as well, so could you just give us uh, an update as you've gotten back to D.C. now out of the August recess? Where do they where do things stand right now on Capitol Hill?
6: well, as you said, you know it's not it's not uncommon for us to uh you know go a little bit longer than what we uh the expiration date so the federal government its calendar starts again on uh, October first, and so uh right now with the appropriations process up in the air. Uh, That's really what everybody's focused on. So uh, the Senate's working hard to get their appropriations bills done. The House will be doing the same thing. And then we need to come to some sort of an agreement Uh, with the administration, or we'll have a government shutdown. So there's really a lot going on, and uh, that's kind of taking all of the air right now is really working through the appropriations process. Myself and Senator Stabenow are working together very, very well. Our staffs are working hard. We're actually putting things, uh, you know, on paper. Uh, But all of these things kind of work together, so we need to see what happens with the appropriations cycle. But uh, we're making headway. And as you said, you know, farmers are looking at this. It's so important. In fact, yesterday, I don't know if you noticed. In fact, I'm sure you did in the sense that it's so important. Uh, USDA came out and said that uh, the farm economy would have the greatest drop in net income ever uh, Mm -hmm. this year. And so it it just shows how important it is to make sure that the risk management tools, Uh, the ability to to have those in place so that they can hedge against risk be able to go to the bank and say look this these this is what congress has done this is our five-year contract with them essentially uh you know give us the money so that we can go forward and uh that's really what this is all about i think that's the most important part of the farm bill and sadly our risk management tools are behind. Much of the, much of of those uh, entities are based on 2012 data. The mm-hmm. world is very, very different than it, you know, than then. It's very different than it was a year and a half ago, with inflation, and all that's going on uh, with interest rates. The list goes on and on.
2: Well, Senator Bozeman, I know Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer has mentioned that he he wants the farm bill to be a priority here before Christmas. Do you still feel confident that we could get a farm bill across the finish line by the end of the year, or is a one-year extension more in play?
6: Well, I'm confident we can get it done if we can get the support for the farm aspect of the farm bill. Uh, I was in Fargo, North Dakota not long enough, not long ago, and uh, one of the, the ladies that were there said, look, we need more farm uh, in the farm bill. And I believe that with all of my heart, we're working hard to get that done. And if we're just gonna carry on and, and really have no reset of uh, you know all that's happened with inflation, Our input costs being so high, uh, interest rates being so high. Uh, If we can't do that, then then you know there's really no reason to go forward. So um, we're working hard to to make that happen. And and the good news is, uh, you know, in talking to members, members want to get this done. So it's just a matter of working out the details, but. But you know, so often in Congress, you know, the, the, the mantra gets to be, well, we need to do something, and uh, no, we need to do the right thing. And so we're going to do the right thing and, and make it such that farmers have the ability uh, to make a living.
2: Well, Senator Bozeman, you, you brought up inflation and interest rates, and I know that is, of course, affecting all Americans' uh, pocketbooks right now, especially our farmers and ranchers, when you think about the just that cost of money for operating loans and more. And I know the Federal Reserve is working to – they've been working to try and tame down inflation with higher interest rates. Do you, do you see with all the ongoing appropriations talk and more and things on Capitol Hill, could Congress – potentially step in here to try and do something i guess i don't i don't know if that's a a viable path or not i'm just kind of thinking out loud here
6: well the the trouble is is that that you know we have kind of a new reset labor labor costs are not going to go down transportation costs are not going to go down this is kind of the new normal and so we have to get uh, our risk management tools uh that that, again are so crucial to farmers we have to get those reset i'll give you a good example of that in in march of 2021 the average uh, usDA loan was about three hundred and thirty five thousand dollars so some people borrowing more than that some less but the average was about three hundred and thirty five thousand uh, that to service that loan uh, you know in march of twenty twenty one for a year was about uh, nine thousand dollars in that range now that's twenty three to twenty four thousand dollars so you know, that's real money, you know, for the average farmer. And so you have that going on, you've got all of these other things going on and, and the multiplier is such that this is why we saw, this year, uh, you know, this massive drop in net, net income to our farm community. So the other problem that we've got in, in, in farmland is the fact that uh, 53% of our counties in America lost population. Mm-hmm. And so you start losing those turn-back dollars because, you know, that's based on population. And and pretty soon, you know, you lose your school, you know, you, you lose your community. The only thing that's left there is agriculture. And so to have a viable rural America, you know, we simply need to step up. We need to support our farmers. But ultimately, that's all about making it such that we can continue to have the cheapest safest food of any place in the world we can be so so very proud of that we've seen what food inflation does uh, to families they're experiencing that right now and so we want to continue to to give the farmers the tools that they need uh, so that they can continue on and support uh, support uh, small farms medium sized and our larger farms that's that's really what it's all about
2: Senator Bozeman, one final thing I want to ask you real quick. I know yourself and Chairwoman Stabenow sent a letter to the USDA on increasing market development opportunities, looking at allocating some funding from the Commodity Credit Corporation to support creating new and better market opportunities for farmers, as well as uh, in-kind international food assistance. Can you comment on that letter for us a little bit?
6: Well, one of the, the the lifeblood of of agriculture is uh, foreign sales. Uh, in Arkansas, 40 percent of what we produce is exported. I'm sure that's true, you know, across the board. At least 40 percent of the product. We we not only feed America, we feed the world. But we've got to have that. We got to have the attitude that we've got one customer here, and there's several hundred customers throughout the rest of the world. The problem is that uh, we haven't done a good job negotiating trade agreements uh, lately. In fact, you know, with China uh, pulling back and things, that's that's really making, uh, you know, this much more difficult. So we have to we have to uh, you know stimulate trade and so this allows you know this these dollars are used for the individual entities to go into the market you know and and work hard to produce this so this is all about helping farmers create more markets which again is, is is great for rural America, great for our farmers, and uh, just is is it it just doesn't work without it. The other aspect of that was with Ukraine going on, with the Russians weaponizing food, we've got a situation where uh, you know there's there's lots of folks in need uh, throughout the world, and so what we're saying is is you know we we are going to step forward and give aid let's make sure that this is aid coming from our farmers and so this is an effort to buy up uh you know American uh, produced farm uh, uh, produce and mm-hmm. and uh, all all that that's involved and then again you know push it overseas so it's it's a minimal amount but it's it's another thing it's all about helping the farm community and uh, supporting our farmers. And as we saw, you know, with the report yesterday, again, this massive, I think, $43 billion, $42 billion decrease in farm income, that, that is, you know, such a significant amount of money. So we just want to do all we can to support our farm community, period.
2: Well, with that, we do appreciate the time. We'll look forward to getting you back on AOA again in the near future. With that, Senator John Bozeman, thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.
6: No, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it. All right,
1: up next, markets with Mike Zuzolo here on AOA. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions.
7: Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right
4: there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvette with this market update. The grain, oil, seeds, and livestock are mixed, but with a lower tone this morning. Wheat futures were modestly lower in overnight trading, and it's continuing this morning on harvest pressure. And as global leaders seek ways to get agriculture products out of Ukraine, about 74% of the U.S. spring wheat crop was harvested at the start of the week. That's up from 54% a week earlier, but that is still behind the prior five year average of 77%. In North Dakota, which is the biggest U.S. producer of spring varieties, collection was only at 64% finished. While that's up from 38% a week earlier, it's well behind the average of 73% for this time of year. Winter wheat planting has already started, though only 1% was in the ground as of Sunday. Kansas, which is the biggest producer of winter varieties, is 1% sowed, while Washington farmers have already planted 9% of their crop, and South Dakota planting was at 8% complete. And while officials from Turkey and the United Nations said they were optimistic that the Ukraine grain initiative deal would be renewed in the near future, little progress has been made in getting Moscow back to the bargaining table. Still, though, Ukraine has been finding alternative routes, exporters shipped egg products along the Danube River, but Russia bombed infrastructure that allowed ships to depart from those ports. Cargos of Ukrainian grain, though, have already been moving through Croatian ports. We're also expected to see storms across southeastern Kansas and southwestern Missouri today. That's bringing some potentially severe weather to the area. Lightning, hail, and gusty winds could be possible with some of these storms. Some isolated showers are forecast for parts of northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin this morning, though no severe weather is expected. Air quality alerts remain in effect for eastern Nebraska and are now in the yellow category. The VIX is trading near 14 this morning, while the dollar is pulling back and crude oil is trading modestly higher. Although it should be noted that China is also building big reserves of crude oil, believed to be over 1 billion barrels or a 66 day supply. You're listening day away for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So.
0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen.
2: Well, there is plenty going on in the market trade as we are gearing up for a very key USDA WASDE report for the month of September. That is coming up on Tuesday the 12th. And we are going to dive into what's going on, big picture, in this market trade right now. Joining us, President of Global Commodity Analytics, Mike Zuzalo, is with us here today. Mike, good to catch up with you on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Doing great for a Friday, Jesse. Thanks for having me, sir. Well, I appreciate the time, Mike. Let's dive in. And first, I think to help set us up, uh, weekly export sales numbers uh, came out on Friday morning, uh, delayed a day because of Labor Day holiday. And we also got some more export sales to China, it looks like, uh, announced on Friday morning's wire. So as you kind of look at some of this demand equation and the fresh numbers that we have, anything stand out to you?
7: You know, the thing that stands out to me is the marketing year high in both the weekly corn and weekly soybean numbers. And this comes on the heels of the trade thinking that we're probably going to see a lower yield on Tuesday's WASDE numbers for corn and beans, for the, especially soybeans. Um, but probably see also the demand side get lowered in one way, shape, or form, and especially the export market, Jesse. And so I think it raises the stakes. A bit in the uh, WASDI report and what USDA says, and maybe we can get a yield reduction without clipping the demand side too much. It seems as though um, China is really buying a lot of beans, just not from us. But as you said this morning, them coming in maybe gives me the sense that maybe the uh, prices have fallen enough now that we're attracting export demand again as Chinese soy meal futures right now are hitting a record high. And this, even though China in the first eight months of this calendar year have, have brought in about 72 million tons of soybeans and that's up 18 percent year over year so they're bringing in a lot more it's from brazil but the net net is is the world demand whether you're looking totally for wheat corn and beans is very very strong and maybe something the market's missing maybe something they'll pick up on as we get tuesday's numbers
2: and i think it's very interesting just looking at this overall picture here for u.s commodities mike you and i have uh and kind of chatting back and forth about this here this past week uh, that we, we hear the anecdotes. This crop is dying down, not drying down. You, you told me that here earlier this week, especially, I think, Iowa, Illinois. The crop ratings are out this week. And the, I, I know there's some concern out there about what we are going to have as far as a final yield and so i think it's gonna be interesting to see what usda gives us for not only those yield numbers on tuesday's report but then also do they make any demand adjustments to compensate for any reductions in yield mike
7: yeah i mean i did my production updates um on the corn model and it's pretty detailed jesse and i i came in with a 14.9 billion bushel crop Um, that takes you to a 172.7 national yield. I went ahead and dropped that to 172.4 just to be safe because I'm looking at the end of the year, and I I feel like we are below last year's 173.3. I I don't think USDA is going to give us a 172.4 yield, but um, it's interesting you bring up Iowa because of the – 199 plus million bushel difference um, that that I show versus USDA's August numbers. Um, Iowa was 90 million, Nebraska 76 million, and then Minnesota 16 million. So they were those three states were the vast majority of the reduction this month for me versus last month. And I found it especially noteworthy that while the Iowa August numbers from USDA showed very little decline, if any, in the corn. They did start to show some decline in the soybeans all the way back in their August numbers. So I I think a lot's on the table. My yield number for soybeans is going to go down to 49.9. So both of those numbers, based upon Newswire estimates, would be on the lower end. I don't do Newswire estimates just for the listeners to know because I don't like the funds and the algo traders to be able to trade my information before Uh, the the actual report comes out. It's just a little bit of a pet peeve for me with the AI people.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we always got to think about some of that uh, computer algorithm type trading in this market as well, at least a lot of volatility, of course. Mike, I know with some of the research you do, you follow the Bloomberg Commodity Index quite a bit. And I know you've been kind of drawing a wedge here the last couple of months and really watching this index. It's been a Pretty good indicator of what's going on in this market. Can you talk about that a little bit?
7: Yeah, that's a really good point to bring up, especially ahead of the WASDE report, this early harvest that we're going to have, the wheat continuing to keep us pinned down uh, to the to the, to the the floor and, and to the mat in wrestling terms, and and also compared to what China's dealing with. And I think this week, the Bloomberg Commodity Index showed a very nice wedge formation. As you say, we're coming to the peak or the pennant or the uh, tip of that wedge and the two biggest extremes that I can point out to the listener is the the OPEC supply cuts this past week because of the weak Chinese data, the weak Chinese demand that they're fearful of going forward um, and versus the sharply higher dollar, you know, the Chinese currency in the overnight trade just made a brand new low against the US dollar going all the way back to 2007. So that's really the, the 800 pound gorilla, but that really reflects on that Bloomberg commodity index because we're not surging higher thanks to the crude oil because of the wheat market and I went back and looked uh, at the end of the week of June 23rd uh, soft red wheat has lost about 22% of its value WTI crude oils added about 25% of its value so it kind of makes sense why we're coming to a tip and those tips don't come very often and some of the other indicators I look at, Jesse would suggest we may be on the uh, very outskirts of a major trend shift. And I wouldn't be surprised. A lot of people are talking about an early harvest low. Um, I think the best corn is going to come earliest. And so I'm, I'm thinking unless USDA gives us a big bullish surprise on Tuesday, we may have to wait till we get to the September 30th time period in that grain stocks report before we can look for a real breakout uh, to the upside potentially if we do have an early harvest low coming.
2: We're talking with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics here on AOA Today. Mike, you and I have talked before about wheat needing to be the leader in this market. And I know, of course, U.S. wheat prices are much higher than world values. I mean, Russian wheat is far cheaper and far more competitive right now. Do you still feel like, uh, just kind of piggybacking off your last point there, do you feel like wheat needs to resume a leadership position to give us any sort of uh, momentum to the upside or things decoupling a little bit in the uh, grain markets?
7: No, I don't think they're decoupling. I I think that a lot more people, including the USDA, are looking at declining corn feed numbers because of the wheat prices in the real market. And so that feed relationship between wheat and corn is still very much there. And it's still, I think, appropriate to look for the wheat to be the major leader, to make major lows and major highs, especially in relation to corn, Jesse. I think the biggest thing that I continue to see is first three months of the marketing year, 23-24, U.S. uh, exports out the door are about 4.3 million tons. That's down about 23% from last year. And that has come mainly from Russia. But I think Monday's update from Australia and them dropping their crop again, really adds a, a, the idea that our global supplies are going down. And um, yes, Russia and Ukraine are obviously a big factor, but I think they're a diminishing factor. It's really up to the currencies at this point. I still look to the European wheat market as the one that has to bottom first because the dollar euro trade I think is really key to bringing us back into a way to get into the export market again, other than through private sales, like we saw through South Korea, I believe it was this week. Mike, I want to make sure we have time to
2: talk uh, this cattle market here as well. I know you've been watching this cattle trade, and is it time to get some hedges in place potentially here? I know you've been working on some new research uh, covering this cattle market. I mean, what's your take right now in the live and the feeder cattle market?
7: Yeah, the, the market has really been focusing on both strong demand and tightening supplies, and, and rightfully so. But I think we are now at a point as we get through the summer grilling season and head into winter and, and weekly export sales here. Again, one week doesn't make a trend, but the, the beef export sales were down from the four-week average. I do think the beef prices are getting too high around the world. And so net-net, the supply reductions may be met now with an equivalent demand reduction. And so I think beans and and cattle are very much in the same kind of mindset. Beans have already broken with the idea of weakening demand coming forward because of China. I'm real nervous the same thing could happen with beef because we've really kicked up the demand and the exports to China the last two and a half years, Jesse. So, I do think September is a really serious month to think about locking in profit. I don't care how high the cattle go at this point. I want to get the floor underneath me because the profit per head is up there in, in levels of 200 plus based upon K-State numbers. And You only get there in the last 20 years. I think we've been there about a half a dozen times maybe at this kind of profit level for the Dec-Feb marketings.
2: Well, and another aspect to demand is the domestic demand equation as well, Mike. I mean, we're past Labor Day. Summer grilling season technically is over with. And so kind of reassessing what that retail demand looked like over the holiday, but also, I mean, you know, with grilling season kind of. Coming to an end, that's going to have a bit of an impact, I think, as well in this entire protein sector.
7: I agree, and I think that's helped prices go up to these new records as of this week in front month uh, cattle. But we also have to remember that the 80% ground beef price is now breaking 3 through $3 a pound, that typically tends to really shut down and, and cause substitution over to pork and chicken based upon what I found. So that's kind of another red flag at this point. I'm, I'm not trying to put a top in the market, Jesse. I think it really just goes back to the profitability is, is something you just don't see very often. And how many times do we miss this kind of a profitable level because we can't see anything but higher prices? And look at what happened in the wheat last May. I mean, that was a perfect example.
2: Mike, if folks want to take a look at your research, where can they find you online?
7: Best place is globalcomresearch.com. It's globalcom with two M's, research.com. You can look at product services brochure on there, PDF file, and also sign up for a two-week trial. Just a couple, three questions and be happy to send something out to you free for the next two weeks.
2: Well, we appreciate the time. Mike Azuzalo, president of Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again soon.
7: Thanks, Jesse. Have a great weekend.
2: All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to Scott Black, the CEO of Five Star Cooperative. That's coming up here next on Agriculture of America.
8: You are not your diagnosis.
10: A medical chart is not your identity.
8: And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage.
10: An advocate for hope.
8: You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We
5: drive the research for the cures we are finding.
10: We're fighting macular degeneration.
5: Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases.
10: We fund.
8: We fight. We, we win. win. We. We. We We are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness.
10: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.
9: I'll take Dig a Little, Learn a Lot for 30 bushels.
10: Soft
0: and crumbly. Tom.
9: How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a Little for 40 bushels. Sweet and sweet and earthy. Tom, what does healthy soil smell like?
0: Yes, go again.
9: Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom, what does healthy soil look like? You win.
1: (laughs) Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station.
2: This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Steve Meisch, a grain sales manager with CHS, about pre-harvest marketing strategies. What is the market telling farmers about selling grain out of the field
10: or storing right now? Well, looking at the current corn and bean market, there's a little bit of carry there which is um, <laughs> is a good thing to see. Honestly, it's really good to see. So the farmer deciding to store is a very simple marketing plan if he or she wants to do that. I think with the variable um, yields that we'll see, because some places missed a lot of rain, some places didn't get any during the growing season, which the rains have turned on now, I think there will be some pricing opportunities is the way I feel like. The market could give us a chance to price some grain before harvest here or during harvest for that matter.
2: Steve, what marketing tools should farmers consider using this year?
10: With the volatility in the market, the easiest way and most simple way to market would probably be using some edge to arrives to their advantage. The hedge to arrive leaves you to set basis later, which gives you the flexibility to go anywhere you want during harvest. So the flexibility in that is very good And an average marketing plan. They're very simple and very underutilized with the volatility in the market and an average pricing program, pricing grain every day at the close for you.
2: Well, why is it important for farmers to know their per bushel cost of production to set their marketing price targets?
10: Well, we need to know our break even so we don't sell the grain below our cost of production. Knowing your cost of production is going to make your operation just that much more successful. There hasn't been that many opportunities this year, unfortunately, in the market in which they gave us. So the easiest way to do that is just is get as close as you possibly can.
2: That's Steve Meish on Around the Table, brought to you by CHS. Any information or opinions presented are for informational purposes only and do not constitute trading, legal, or other professional advice. CHS makes no warranties about any information or opinions provided and shall not be
0: liable for the use thereof of any errors or omissions therein. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, They deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to patriotic hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416. For 24-hour response, call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA now back to Jesse Allen and joining us now here on
2: the program I saw this story and I thought it was really cool I have a soft spot of course for things around my my hometown in north central Iowa and I I remember driving by uh this uh this little town many many times growing up and now there is a a brand new facility going in there being put up by five-star cooperative that i think is is really interesting an agronomy complex and here to tell us more about it is five-star cooperative ceo scott black scott great to have you on aoa with me today i hope you're doing well
11: uh we are doing great here jesse and thank you on behalf of the entire five-star team thank you for having me on today We appreciate
2: it. You bet. Well, let's let's dive into this a little bit. You know, I think about the uh, the tiny town of Birchdale, Iowa. I've driven by that old uh, longstanding grain elevator there many many times, as I was alluding to. But now you guys are getting ready to put in a multi million dollar agronomy complex here. And just to start, Scott, tell us a little bit more about this new agronomy complex investment. What exactly are you guys building there?
11: Yeah, again, we're we are very excited about this, uh, this new complex that is going into our location in Birchenall. Uh, actually, this uh, journey where we are today started uh, a year ago where we had our, our facility in Mason City. Unfortunately, it was hit by a tornado last year in April and took out our, our assets there. Uh, our agronomy assets so we were put in a position to start looking at where we go from here and uh, decided to uh, rebuild at our original location uh, south of mason city uh, what we're putting in there jesse is a start state-of-the-art dry fertilizer plant also a liquid facility which is really cool it's uh, has 24 7 loadout for 32 uh, percent liquid fertilizer um, we're also building a high tech seed treating warehouse where we'll have the ability to treat seed any time of year, including the cold winter months, where many times it's not conducive in- to seed treating at that time. And we're also building a, a new office. So uh, those we started uh, breaking ground in- on the facility here a couple months ago. And we're really excited. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, too, on this project, Jesse, is uh, how well our team responded last year mm-hmm. uh, with it, you know, and, and put us in a position where we had to, right before the busy season, uh, how we're going to take care of our customers, our members. And they just did an excellent job of redeploying teams, equipment, and uh, we had help some, with uh, some neighboring cooperatives to help us uh, with product, and we appreciate that. And we're able to get things taken care of. So uh, we're very excited about where we're going. Birchnell, um, actually, that cooperative started in 1889. Mm. Um, And so it's, you know, that location there has been around a long time, 134 years. And uh, we're really pleased that we're going to continue to uh, add to that, that location.
2: Well, and I know as well, uh, the location that you're putting this in very close in proximity to Interstate 35, you have Highway 218, the Avenue of the Saints, as it is called as well. So a lot of a lot of key access there. And I I have to think for farmers, not only in the area, but regionally as well are going to benefit from a facility like this, Scott
11: yeah absolutely that was one of the drivers jesse as we were making decisions on where we go you know next we look at different locations greenfield locations other locations within the five-star uh, network and, and decide on Uh because one of the things you just cited um, accessibility it is very close to some of the major thoroughfares this is going to add a lot of convenience for our members who come in and utilize the facility and our vendors who we you know purchase uh, inputs from and so we we purchase some additional land there and in uh, building the facility there and uh, this way we can uh, make it, again, an easier experience you know, for our customers uh, when they utilize the facility. Uh, one of the things that's really cool is this 24-7 loadout mm-hmm. uh, liquid fertilizer facility. Uh, customers can uh, come in and pick up product any time of day, day or night, weekends, holidays, uh, w- whenever it's convenient for them. They'll be able to come in and pick up their 32% uh, there at the facility. So yeah. well, our, our workers are very excited about that.
2: That is a really great aspect of that, having that be 24-7. And, you know, Scott, we've seen our issues with fertilizers, supply, supply chain challenges here in recent years. I have to think that mm-hmm. this project will help alleviate some of those concerns, if there are any right now regionally. I know things have improved, but I would have to think in the grand scheme of things, this could help alleviate some of those concerns as well.
11: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We all know what's been going on in the world and what's going on with prices and up and down on commodities and, and our industry, you know, over the last several years. And we don't anticipate that really changing. It's the new environment we're in and and, uh, and how we purchase, when we purchase from different suppliers. We're continuing to form stronger partnerships with our vendors Uh, to be able to work through, you know, the supply uh, challenges we have. Uh, And so, uh, again, as we look at shortages, we anticipate uh, good supplies into next year. We anticipate, um, but again, anticipation is challenging now with worldwide events that that affect the fertilizer markets. Mm -hmm. Um, But we anticipate more of a normal, um, year next year and, and fertilizer pricing than what we've seen historically you know over the last couple of years. So um, we have agronomists that work really closely with our customers on their needs, making sure they book needs ahead of time, and then we secure those needs for them going forward. So we spend a lot of time in that activity, uh, making sure we have the product when our customers need it. But it is certainly a challenge you know, over the last several years with supply chain. I think we all, we all know that so.
2: we do. Yeah, yeah, it has been a challenge. Yeah. but We're hoping things get better. We're talking with Scott Black, yeah. the CEO for Five Star Cooperative, learning more about their new agronomy complex going up at their Birchinal, Iowa location there in north central Iowa. Scott, how, how soon are we looking at operations being up and running for the new facility there in Birchinal?
11: As I mentioned, we broke ground here in June, and we anticipate and we're on on track to open and have the facility available uh, for our customers in the spring of of next year. So the spring of 2024 season will be up and going and ready to go at that time.
2: Thank you for joining us here today on AOA, CEO for Five Star Cooperative, Scott Black. Thanks so much, Scott. We'll talk to you again soon.
11: Thank you, Jesse. We appreciate it. Have a great day.
2: All right. Well, we are out of time here on AOA today. Coming up on the next episode, I'll be broadcasting live from Bar Charts Grain Merchandising and Technology Conference. We'll talk markets with Darren Newsom. I'll also talk with Bar Chart CEO Mark Heriberta. Weather with John Baranek from DTN. All that and more coming up on the next episode of AOA. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day.
8: Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org.